Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm sitting here this afternoon recording this. I've just started, I won't say a Twitter storm or a Twitter um, fire or anything like that. We were just talking because it was the 19th anniversary of the launch of The Sopranos. The first ever episode of The Sopranos was 19 years ago today, I think, or maybe it was yesterday, whenever it was. But someone put up that it was uh, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. And I said, no, it's the greatest TV show of all time, which, you know, I think I'm entitled to think that, right? That's my opinion. I don't have to qualify it by saying, well, in my humble opinion, I think the best TV show of all time is The Sopranos. You know, you put something out there, people should assume that it is your opinion. You're not sort of saying everybody should think this. It's really just my own personal preference, but it's kind of mad because you put something like that up and loads of people just tell you you're wrong. Come on, Jimmy, even a broken clock is right twice a day. You're wrong. No, it's not. It's not the greatest TV show of all time. It's The Wire, which is a fantastic and amazing TV show. Or they say, no, it's Breaking Bad, or they'll tell you it's Game of Thrones, which I think we can all dismiss that opinion. You know, there's there's not much between The Wire and The Sopranos, it has to be said. You know, it's a 10 out of 10 Sopranos. For me, 9.9 is The Wire. Breaking Bad, about a 9.5. Game of Thrones... Like, enjoyable dragon bullshit spear sword nonsense that it is, but it doesn't come close to any of those things. But it's just a mad, strange way of the world, isn't it? That people go, no, you're wrong, and let me tell you why you're wrong, rather than saying, well, you know, in my opinion, I think it's The Wire, or I think it's Breaking Bad, that this, why is there this rush to disprove something which does not need to be disproven? I don't really get it. It's true of football as well. You can express an opinion on football and you say, I think blah. And so loads of people will say, no, that's that's ridiculous. How could you even think that? Well, I don't know. It's just, it's just what I think based on what I see. I'm not saying fucking sheep are blue. I'm not saying the grass is orange. Something that could be actually disproven by, you know, facts and evidence. It's just my opinion on that thing that happened or that guy that did that thing or the way that the guy did that thing that happened. That's all. You don't have to agree. That's fine. I can live with that. You don't have to agree, but don't try and convince me the other way. When I'm quite happy to think what I think without not thinking something else. I've got enough to think about without having to rethink all the stuff I've already thought. It's not like there's 47 hours in a day, is there? Somebody will try and convince me now that there are actually 47 hours in the day. Or if we were further away from the sun, it would take much longer for the earth to revolve around and therefore our day would be much longer. But we're not. We're right where we are. Stuck between whatever planets we're stuck between Mars and the the other one, Venus. Yeah, I know what it is. 
Someone wrote a book about it one time. It was probably shit. But if you like it, that's fine. I'm not here to convince you otherwise. On this week's show, we're going to look back on what was a week of cup football. Some of it was good. Some of it was not so good. Obviously, we're no longer in the FA Cup, but we are still in the League Cup. The Carabao Cup after a nil-nil draw with Chelsea in midweek at Stamford Bridge. A game which wasn't necessarily the most exciting game of the uh, of the season, but it puts us in a position for the next leg where we uh, take on Chelsea at home and then you're in a Wembley final and who knows who you'll be facing. I mean, it'll be Man City, of course, because they're playing Bristol City and uh, there's literally no way that they're not going to win that semi-final. So whoever wins between Arsenal and Chelsea will be playing Manchester City. I mean, it does provide an opportunity not only for silverware, but if things continue the way they have been going over the last little while, it's also an opportunity for Arsenal to do something about the possibility of Manchester City going through the season unbeaten. What do we want? A trophy or to kick them off the pitch and they suffer so many injuries that they eventually lose a league game. What would you choose? I mean, I think I would choose the trophy. There's still the possibility that they could lose a game between now and May. We also have a league game in which, you know, that's very much in our hands. We could prevent them from matching the Invincibles. But, you know, this would be another way of doing it. A very sinister and malicious and evil way of doing it. But we are where we are. Speaking of this week, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures of uh, Hector Bellerin this week. He was at London Fashion Week. It's caused quite the stir. He was wearing an outfit. It looked like a pair of gold pajamas, wearing a pair of what appeared to be furry slippers of some kind. And, you know, Hector's a fashionable guy. It's not necessarily my fashion. It probably isn't your fashion, but it's what he's into. He's always had a kind of weird, eccentric Perhaps you might say zany, but that's not a good word. I don't like anyone who is zany. But he's got his own unique dress sense. And I think that should be celebrated. But people were going mental. They were going crazy. Look at this guy. Look at this guy wearing clothes. How dare he? Why is he not wearing Farrah slacks? High-waisted Farrah slacks and a button-down cardigan. What is wrong with this young man expressing himself through the medium of his apparel? People got very cross. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, I don't know. You motherfuckers, you motherfuckers. So I did a Photoshop that I put up on Twitter. I put up on Facebook. And I think I put in Google image search, most ridiculous fashion. And I got one of those pictures of a male model walking down the catwalk. He appears to be wearing a bin bag of some kind. And one of the legs of the pants or so-called pants that he's wearing are cut out. So he's got a a sort of a a bare right leg and his left leg is covered and he's strutting down the catwalk. It looks like a, a ruffled bin bag kind of frock type thing that nobody in their right mind would ever wear outside of a fashion show. So I uh, photoshopped Hector Bellerin's face or head onto that, put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook. And, you know, lots of people saw it for what it was, which was like a, a vaguely amusing Photoshop. Lots of people, however, seemed to think that it was real and got very angry about it. Rio Ferdinand picked up the picture and tweeted it. In fairness to Ferdinand, he said a big shout out to Hector Bellerin for his fashion sense, whatever it was. But that, too, created a lot of... Uh, A lot of people just criticizing Hector for what he was wearing, as if this is somehow related to what he does on the pitch or how he does it. 
I just don't get the correlation between a footballer's haircut and what, how he plays. Like, it's possible, you know, for a person to be a professional, dedicated footballer and have other interests which don't impinge on that. Some people collect trains. Not, not actual trains, but train sets, or they play video games, or whatever. Hector just likes to wear mag clothes. I did like some of the comments, though. Lots of people going, what a prick. We've got to sell him. I enjoyed all the people as well who said that they were going to sell him from their FIFA team because they could no longer countenance the idea of picking Hector Bellerin in the form of pixels and sprites on their television in FIFA 18 simply because of what he supposedly wore uh, at a fashion show. But I did like the comment on Facebook. uh, Amid all this madness, one guy looks at it and goes, is Hector Bellerin really tall enough to be a catwalk model? I enjoyed that one. Anyway, that was the midweek madness uh, from a Photoshop point of view. There was also some midweek transfer action. Francis Coquelin has gone to Valencia. Seems an odd one, kind of. I mean, you can see why it happened, because he was marginalized. He wasn't playing very much, and Valencia have offered some decent money and a chance for Coquelin to go and play. It's a great move for him, it has to be said. Uh, Good team, beautiful city, beautiful part of the world, great weather, nice beaches, all that kind of stuff. He has a release clause at Valencia now of 80 million euros. But you do wonder what we're going to do in midfield. Arsene Wenger talking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles coming in there, but we might discuss that uh, in a few moments' time with our guest. Is it going to make uh, Arsene Wenger dip into the transfer market? Are we going to do any business? I don't know. He said he was going to, but, you know, we've been down that road a few times before. But uh, farewell, Francis Coquelin. Never as good as people said. Never really as bad as people made out either. He's not the type that deserves help. It just didn't work out. When you don't have a genius like Santi Cazorla alongside you, it makes your life a lot more difficult. And I think that's true of lots of people, not simply Francis Coquelin. Anyway, good luck to him in Valencia. He joins up with former Arsenal teammate Gabriel, who's out there as well, uh, who's doing very well, it, it seems, this season. So... Uh, Maybe there's something in the Mediterranean water, in the climate, in the weather and all that kind of stuff. It suits uh, Gabrielle a bit better than London, and maybe it will Francis Coquelin. Anyway, with me now to discuss what's been going on this week, uh, the cup exits and more. It's the man from East Lower. Hello to you. Hello to you. Uh, I was just talking before I came to you a little bit about Hector Bellerin and his... uh, his fashion sense. Um, would you consider yourself a a fashionista? Maybe not these days, but back in the day, would you have? Well, um, you know, far far from it for me to be to blow my own trumpet. Yeah, I think I was, you know, a man about town. Yeah, I like to polish my shoes. No, I didn't like to polish my shoes. No, I'll be. No, <laughs> I think the short, the long, and the short answer is uh, not especially, and certainly not like him. I mean, no. obviously, I'm massively what, jealous. What would be the most uh, outrageous piece of clothing that you ever, you know, went out of the house in thinking you look great? Can you think of anything off the top of your head? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, you don't have to. You, you can go back to the '80s, when regrettably you yeah. and I were both lived <laughs> through, and uh, and I do remember, you know, much, um, yeah. Uh, much to uh, uh, my embarrassment. I do remember wearing a, a grey flecked pair of uh, skinny trousers with a black pair of Chelsea Chelsea boot type scenario. It, it wasn't particularly good. Right. No. Right. Uh, what about you? Uh, there have been a few. Uh, you know, certainly in the in the 80s, uh, there was a lot of uh, high-soled suede shoes. 
you know, yeah. those those things that were going around. And, uh, you know, some silk shirts, not great now that I think about not, it. Not great. No. And then, of course, there was the 90s when I was out clubbing and all that kind of stuff. And I did have a pair of, I guess you would say they were plastic almost trousers they look like kind of snake skin but they weren't snake skin they were this kind of weird plastic material they were like an a metallic ice blue and uh yeah they I were... bet you smelled delicious when you got home oh yeah i, I <laughs> uh, we found them in the in the cupboard actually recently and um surprisingly they still fit so uh yeah yeah i wouldn't go out in them now though i have to say oh that's a shame i thought you were going to say and i'm wearing them now i am not wearing them now no <laughs> maybe i'll wear them at the next live show no i won't i promise you i won't uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll save everybody from that so look um let's start with uh, what happened on wednesday wednesday obviously came in the wake of the fa cup defeat to nottingham forest which was a bit of a bit of a a pain, I guess. Um, one of those days where things didn't quite work out, but I think we've done that game to death. Uh, we did that mm. on the Arscast Extra, uh, and we've talked about that a great deal. But I have to say, when we went to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday, despite the fact I figured the team was going to be stronger, I was still quite trepidatious about what was going to go down. I thought... And probably for the first time this season, I always have this weird optimistic streak, but I thought for the first time we were going to get a pounding and we didn't. <laughs> so that's good. It is good. And actually I, I was quite, yeah, it's, I, I always find it faintly satisfying when we basically look at the opposition and think, what should we need to do? What's our game plan for the next you know, 180 minutes and actually and then have a plan and stick to it. It's so rare. It's so rare that it happens, but um so I quite yes, I know there wasn't a lot going on. Let's be honest, it wasn't full of chances for us at least. No, but um, but I thought it was you know I, I like the way that we we had a plan stuck to it and we worked tenaciously and you know as someone pointed out on Twitter though, it is kind of a bit of a habit of Wenger's after a really bad defeat is he'll go and prove that we can defend. So you know like after Liverpool five one we we drew nil nil against Menu and he does kind of have a. Yeah, we. I can do it in his mm. mind. He's thinking, I can do it. I'm just going to prove to you I can do it. But then I don't really like doing it. So I'm not sure how many yeah. more games we'll see this um, tenacious rearguard action. Well, hopefully, none. hopefully not too many because they come after we've had a bad defeat. Oh, I mean, they, actually, the yeah, nil nil, the nil nil at Chelsea in the Premier League earlier in the season came after the game at Anfield, after the the four nil at Anfield. So. This is quite frustrating in a way because I don't mind playing like that because it, it's for a reason. And sometimes you think that, yeah, that's that's the way I should play. But Wenger just hates that beyond, you know, he hates having to do it. He'll do it out of necessity, but yeah. he'll hate having to do it. And so um, most of the time we only, see, like you say, we don't see them for the right reason, those kind of performances. Mm. Do you think we in some ways over the years have become, not, I won't say contemptuous, but slightly dismissive of the idea that defensive football is is in, in any way legitimate or actually um, something to aspire to because we've had these Wenger teams and, you know, he did transform the way that the club played and the football that it played and he, he, he brought a style of football, a defined style over the period of his 21 years, which has maybe fallen away a little bit recently, but more than any other period, I think, in, in Arsenal's history, there's been a defined style of play, which is attacking football and, and uh, technical football, fast-paced, you know, uh, clever footballers. And 
certainly uh, there are teams and managers who can't play like that and don't want to play like that, like Diego Simeone, for example, whose success is built on this incredible hard work that he has. Uh, and it feels sometimes like we're going, well, you know, if you're going to park the bus... You know, what's the point of that? But, you know, if you're going to park the bus against a team like Man City, then, you know, by all means, is that not a better idea than going to try and go toe-to-toe with Man City and ending up getting spanked? I think so. I think there's room for every approach. And ultimately, you, you look at your strengths and your weaknesses and you say, what would, well, what would I get out of this? I mean, obviously, the, he, someone like Mourinho is exceptionally pragmatic in that respect, and it's not always very exciting. So uh, a club I would always like to see in a club with Arsenal's capabilities and sort of you know money at their disposal on the players to try and go for a for the kind of attacking sure for the attacking type of football well, who wouldn't but I, I guess i guess what i'd miss a bit is the shaking it up as 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 and when the opposition requires it which i don't think wenger likes doing he much rather as it's you know as as folk uh, folklore has it he just kind of you know go out and do your thing and do your best and that's kind of how he likes it but um personally i quite like to look at every I wouldn't mind him doing this a bit more where he looks at the opposition and says, what's, what's a good result here? Nil-nil is a decent result in the scheme of this game. Let's go for it. He doesn't do it enough. Mm. I mean, do you think that was his plan going into Chelsea? Let's go there. Let's get a nil-nil. Or was it really, let's just not defend like twats after we defended like twats at Nottingham Forest? I think the uh, defend like uh, the defend like twats element was probably high up in his head, but then ultimately um, it was a bit of both, wasn't it? I, I think I think nil nil at half was effectively half time in in the semi final is a superb position to be in. Um, I mean, obviously you can laugh all you like because the next leg is um, we'll probably you know let let a couple of goals in, but ultimately I think it's a good result and uh, and obvious and we played so badly that the game before, so there was a point to prove as well about about defending, which. I think we did exceptionally well. How frustrating is that? That they prove they can do it one day, and the next day they've, you know, their their minds are completely not there. It's it's, it's so very Arsenal. But. Yeah, I mean the, the the I suppose the difference for me between Nottingham Forest and Chelsea was that we played with a back three rather than a back four, and it does yeah. seem to suit the defenders that we have. The back three seems to suit Chambers and Holding quite well. The back four did not suit Mertesacker and Holding as a as a duo. That wasn't necessarily the the most dynamic central defensive duo you were ever going to see. So, no, and and I mean it's one of those real chalk and cheese performances for both Holding and Chambers, uh, both of whom I really want to succeed. You know, part, partly because we bought them young and then they're English and all the kind of usual reasons. Um, but they, you know, each individually had shockers in the boat in the last two games. So it's always, you know, um, as in the Forest one and the mm. game before. But um, it's. It's always nice for the for, for for them to prove everybody wrong, and like like you say, I think in a back three at the moment that suits them um, very much. What did you make of the decision to leave Alexis Sanchez on the bench? Uh, there was no Mesut Ozil. Alexander Lacazette was sick all day, sick before kickoff. He still got the nod. Danny Welbeck got the nod. Alex Iwobi, who had his issues during the week, I want to ask you about him in a moment, but you know, still got into the team. And Arsene Wenger didn't want to uh, really explain why he left Sanchez on the bench. Uh, He said, you know, sometimes a player needs a break and uh, you're going to have to accept that. I've managed a thousand games and uh, made all the decisions, blah, 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 which we've (laughs) we've heard before. Um, but well, he's just had a break, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't he, play he did against Forest. A, a bro- uh, I think, I think it has to be, you know, given that he's never given him a break, he almost never. He puts him in because he's a. A. He's the kind of player that needs to, sort of needs to play for his rhythm, 
Um, and D. Wenger just, you know, is loath ever to leave him out. So mm. I would be inclined to say there's a bit more to it than than that that particular so, um, um, yeah. bit of reasoning from Wenger. I would imagine that there is some smoke behind the fire of uh, of him leaving this um, January. I, I mean, that would be my guess. I hope it isn't true, uh, in all honesty. But I think, you know, I wouldn't want to put any money on that not happening. Yeah, it was. it's very difficult to look at that decision outside the prism of a potential departure. But at the same time, you know, he threw him on. And, I, you know, I don't know if it was just me projecting or if it was just me seeing what I wanted to see. But, I, you know, I, I looked at Alexis when he came on and he seemed to be running with great determination, but quite obviously with great determination. I don't know if he was swinging his arms out uh, even <laughs> further to say, look, look how hard I'm working. Look how look how much work I do when I do get on the pitch. But it, it was very difficult to look at that decision outside the context of the bid that we heard from Manchester City, apparently take it or leave it bid for, yeah. for £20 million. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite Ministry of Silly Walks stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you could also argue that you know him being human, as we all are, that that maybe the the fact that this bid has come through and he clearly knows about it and probably has known about it for a long time, if it's true, then it might have swayed his mind a bit and maybe he wasn't quite in the right frame of mind. I, you know, I wouldn't um, hold that against him, especially because I, I think that's quite a common thing to happen. So there may be an element of that as well. But uh, well, like you say, he put him on, so ultimately he wasn't so worried about the deal not going through. But then, yeah. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. Um, it would make a lot of sense. Otherwise, I think he would have started, especially having not played the previous game. But, you know, we're second-guessing Wenger, which we, we know is notoriously pointless thing to try and do. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And, you know, he can still play a player that he's intending to sell, as we saw with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, on that day at Anfield, for example. You know, everyone involved in that deal must have known that it was going to go through. Yet he played Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side to play Hector Bellerin out of position on the left, etc., etc. So it is hard to... to get to grips with 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 what he does and how he does it sometimes but uh, you said that Oxlade-Chamberlain was very obviously trying that little bit harder that game (laughs) I definitely wouldn't I definitely wouldn't have said so there was a guy who I think was protecting himself to make sure that 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 move went through but uh, you know I'm not sure that his performance on the day set him apart from any of his teammates really and uh, look if he if he knew he was going to go to Liverpool if he wanted to go to Liverpool and he was picked in the team I know he's a professional I know he would do his best but I think human nature as well puts you in a difficult position I think the the issue on that day was the fact that he was picked he never should have been picked and that's on no. that's on the manager but we've heard we've heard talk of a second bid for Alexis Sanchez from uh, Manchester United who've come in and apparently bid 25 million pounds mm. uh, they fancy their chances of getting Alexis I mean I really really can't see it I I've, I can see Alexis going to to City in this transfer window. I can see yeah. that happening, but I just cannot see Arsene Wenger countenancing a sale to Jose Mourinho in the no, January transfer, regardless of how much money's on offer. No, it feels unlikely. And also it feels like pretty much page one on the agent's manual of how to drive the price up of your player. I think yeah. he said as much on Ask, Ask Blog News. Um, and, 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 you know, who, who would blame their agent for trying that? So, um, or Arsenal, for that matter, for placing that story. I don't know. But uh, it, it's uh, highly unlikely. I'd be amazed. He's, he's um, yeah, there's not a lot, lot of love lost there. No. So, 
no. And also, you know, let's be honest, uh, we're we're more we're we're more competing on the United level at at this precise moment in time in terms of league position yeah. than we are on on the City one. So it would make if you had to do it, and and if if the the decision had been made, you know, to go ahead with it, rightly or wrongly, then you'd say that you, the, the less damage under the circumstances would be the City. Yeah, of course. And if you're Alexis Sanchez, why the fuck would you go to Manchester United? You know, I don't know. And also, you know, they've got quite a lot of good strikers there. So uh, well, in my mind. And um, so um, it's one of those. Um, mind you, I suppose you could argue that Alexis might think, well, I might not get that many games at City, which is uh, perhaps also a factor. Mm, I think he'll get plenty of games at Man City if he goes there. I have a feeling that they're looking at uh, Alexis as a component for the Champions League. Not so much the league because... They don't need anyone for the league at this point, do they? It's uh, you know it's more or less wrapped up, uh, barring some bizarre, weird collapse and somebody else having an incredible run of form. I think the Premier League is is done and dusted. It's the earliest I think I've ever seen it this far done. But you know to have Sanchez for the Champions League and he can play in the Champions League despite the fact he's played in the Europa League. I think that's why City want him. You know they do have great young talent there. Sané's great. Sterling has been brilliant, but he's sort of He's sort of easing Sergio Aguero out, isn't he? And Gabriel Jesus yeah. is injured. So you can see where, where he's going to get the games there. Um, I mean, you said that you you would prefer him to stay. When, when, you, when you're put in that position, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, do you take 20, 25 million for Alexis Sanchez now and use the money to reinvest? Or do you just hang on to him until the summer and have a good tilt at the Europa League and keep him? What, what, what's your I'm inclined, thinking? I'm inclined, to do, I'm, I'm inclined to say the latter. But I, I don't, I mean, I have no great love for him above any particular other player especially, but he's a brilliant player. And I think 20, 25 million, which Wenger probably won't spend anyway, it's it's um it's not a huge amount of money, and I think it would earn that much money to get in the Champions League. Again, we're pro- we may be miles off that, and I don't know. But if that's what if that's what keeping him did got us into the Champions League, we'd earn that anyway from being in it, mm. and we'd also um it'd be more attractive to newer players. So I I don't really see unless he's absolutely you know, adamant and desperate for it, and he's and he's causing some of the ructions that we hear about, or you know, there have mm. been rumours that he. It, that the dressing room's a bit unhappy. If if all that's true, and it, and Wenger thinks it's affecting the the way the team is playing, then you know then he'll probably go. Um, but I don't see at that price what the point is. To be honest, all the yeah. other players that want to go, I get rid. I don't I don't care so much. But but he's there's something about him, isn't it? That would that he's he's got that um he's got that a bit little bit of extra ability and and that and sort of explosive ability that none of our other players really have so yeah. i think if we can avoid doing it i would avoid doing it i don't he hasn't played brilliantly this season compared to last but he hasn't played badly uh, you know uh, not you know not not a lot and uh, i still think even slightly a, a subpar alexis sanchez for for the next 4 months would be better than none that's, i mean that's it's a difficult decision ultimately but that's what that's what i think yeah, I tend to agree because even a subpar Alexis Sanchez, and he has been below the standards that he set during his time at the club, it, it, it's put into sharp focus by the fact that he is our joint leading scorer. Uh, And we're in January. We're well into January now. And our two leading scorers both have eight goals each in all competitions. So goals are not uh, 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 what's easy to come by. They're a fairly precious commodity when when it comes to this Arsenal squad. So unless there's somebody out there, unless, like you say, unless there's absolute ructions going on in the dressing room because of Alexis, even still... 
I keep him because like who's going to score the goals? I just don't know yeah. where where they're going to come from. I don't make I don't make it doesn't make much sense to me. You should I mean obviously he was prepared to do it in the summer and it didn't quite happen because we left it ludicrously late and 60 million would have been a fantastic price. But now 20 million, you know, it doesn't it, it gets you a cocklin and a half and and I think ultimately what's the point? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are other players as well. Uh, Francis Coquelin is gone. Uh, he's yeah. uh, signed for Valencia. Were you surprised that, at that move, um, given our midfield issues? I mean, Granit Xhaka has been okay this season, but not terribly convincing. Mohamed El Neni's a, a reasonably solid squad player. Jack Wilshire has been impressive in the last couple of weeks, but you know you can't bet the farm on Jack staying fit. Aaron Ramsey, again, another player who misses a lot through injury. Uh, we we don't have a great deal in there. I mean, he, he did speak about Ainsley Maitland-Niles perhaps yeah. being able to step up. I mean, do you think that was part of his thinking? Maitland-Niles has come in, done a job at left back and left wing back in the Europa League, and he's he's made the step up to Premier League level, and he hasn't looked out of place playing out of yeah. position. So uh, is he looking at that going, well, okay, he's come in, he's taken his chance, he's shown that he can do it at this level playing at left back. I don't really have space for him in midfield. Okay, here's an offer for Coquelin. Coquelin can go and play, and Maitland-Niles can be that guy when it comes to to midfield. I think so. I think an element of him playing uh, Maitland-Niles at sort of left wing back is they threw him right in the deep end. And to be fair, he hasn't, he's looked, he's looked, He's tried really hard and he's done a lot of really good stuff, but he has also looked flaky. Um, uh, but I think to throw him in there and for him to not sink is is really promising. And ultimately, I do think he's now an option. And you, you, you know, you look at Maitland Niles, you think really is is Cochrane a massive upgrade on that? Uh, and I also look at El Nenny and I think El Nenny and Cochrane kind of two peas in a pod. Really, they're squad players, right? Mm. Um, and he's not going to play him. He's shown he's not going to play him. So on that basis, um, why have him? I, I, you know, I, I can put, I can see the logic of it, uh, and I can see that I can even understand the price. Yeah, you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, twelve million is nothing." Well, it is to a foreign club, uh, you know, so that drops the price a bit. Mm. And and also, he is, you know, he is just a squad player, and and I think some, you know, the, the, I think maybe twelve million is a, a bit low. Well. But, uh, but, but yeah. it's not it's not as ridiculously low. Price. No, I don't think so. I mean, the fact is that like a year ago, just twelve months ago, almost to the day. Arsenal announced uh, Coquelin had signed a brand new long-term contract with the club, and they gave him a very, very hefty pay rise. Mm -hmm. So that has to be taken into consideration as well, because we've had players down the years who've been on big wages who we just can't shift, whether it's on loan or whether it's on uh, a permanent basis, because they've got this salary. So uh, I guess in some ways the transfer fee probably reflected what needed to happen for Coquelin to take the wage cut that he has undoubtedly taken at Valencia. Um, and in some respects, you got to say fair play to him because he could have sat in his wages. He could have sat on his big contract with Arsenal and not played mm -hmm. or played occasionally and done a job whenever he was asked to do, which I'm sure he'd, he'd be quite happy to do. But he wanted to play more regularly. And um, I'm sure he's been, you know, well compensated for part of the deal. But you talk about players who we don't play or we don't use. Theo Walcott, uh, 45 minutes of Premier League action all season long, didn't get on the pitch. Uh, at Stamford Bridge in the Carabao Cup semi-final. Um, he's another one that we might as well, at this point, just say, we're not going to use him. Even yeah. when circumstances suggest that you probably could use him, we don't use him. Let's just move him off and, and see what happens. I mean, he's he's, not, he's exactly. got to he's go, right? not using him now. 
I think he does. He's not playing him, same as Coquelin. And ultimately, on that basis, if £20 million is, is coming in, uh, I think he's got, I think you might as well get rid of him and, and then bank that for future for future use. And but like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a shame in a way because I think he's a flawed player. Everyone knows that. But in a team that isn't scoring a lot of goals, um, he might have been an option if we wanted to mix things around. But seemingly off, so far off Wenger's radar that, um, that he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's considering he scored 19 goals last season. I remember people saying, uh, remember after the Crystal Palace game and he went on TV and said, well, they they wanted it more than us. And he didn't really play for the rest of the season. And people said, well, you know, that's because of what he said on TV. And I thought it was more to do with the formation change. But I do wonder if something has happened because of that. You know, you can trace it back almost uh, to that moment where he, he stopped playing him and stopped picking him for the first team. So, yeah, I'm with but you. Then, but then why hasn't he... This is the other thing, is that he you, you never heard the end of it when he was trying to move, when, when last time he hadn't signed his contract and he was trying to move to centre-forward. God, we must have heard it about every three days. Mm. And and um, and now we haven't heard a peep. And that's the thing I find slightly odd, is that if, if he feels slighted by Wenger, I mean, yeah, hypothetically, we have no idea, um, and he hasn't been picked, he's clearly not been picked, but if he feels that it's unfair and that Wenger slighted him, I'd be, I, I'm quite staggered that nothing more has come out about it, you know. Well, even him, even for him to say, I'm not playing, why am I not playing? I really want to play. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's a World Cup year, and you know, I scored 19 goals last season, blah, blah, blah. He's quite self-confident, and I'm sure... Um, you know, all the flaws he'd be able to brush those under the carpet when he's talking about himself but yeah. he hasn't said a, a, not, not a peep not a peep well I mean he's too busy playing with his coffee machine that he got for scoring all those goals last season he's just jacked on little Nespresso's so um, who knows but look he, he could go and um, whether we sign anyone is another question any expectation of bringing anyone in I do I do. You do? <laughs> I don't I know. do. I mean, I, I don't. I, I, I think if we're going to get rid of, if Alexis goes and Walcott goes and Cochrane goes, I kind of feel that there's probably somebody lined up at some po- point of the pitch. Mm. I, I, I think to lose that many. A goalkeeper, uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but I, I do. I, every time he says, oh, we'll be active in the transfer market, but then every time he gets asked, and this is going back like a decade, is, well, nothing's happening at the moment, mm. you know. I've given up. So um, I, I would say, I would say, yeah, I think if those three were to go, I think somebody's is coming in. But right. if it's just Theo and, and Coquelin, it wouldn't massively surprise me if 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 they were just sort of trimming trimming players he doesn't want anymore. Mm. Um, preparing for the summer. Preparing for the summer for all that that might bring, which I'm going to ask you about now in just a yeah. couple of moments. <laughs> 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I just want to ask you a little bit about Alex Iwobi. A uh, story emerged that he was at a party less than 48 hours before the game. No suggestion that he was doing anything other than staying up r- later than he should have. Arsene Wenger, of course, said it was unacceptable. He'd be fined. Um, people's reaction to things like this really surprised me. I guess it shouldn't, but the the absolute merciless, mercilessness of some people for what is essentially a minor indiscretion. He stayed up a bit late dancing with his friends, and it's not ideal. He shouldn't do it. He needs to learn a lesson. I think his performance at Stamford Bridge was one, uh, there was a touch of mea mea culpa to to the way that he played. He worked really hard. Still some issues with his decision-making, but I've seen people saying he should be thrown out of the club, he should be sold, he should never play for us again. And to me, that seems like a huge overreaction. When you think back to, I know times are different and things are different, but when you look back to some of the indiscretions that some of the the Arsenal legends and heroes, and I understand why they're legends and why they're heroes, they won things, they put their bodies on the line for the club, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but some of the behavior that they did and got away with and didn't get away with perhaps at times is quite happily overlooked, and this guy who's just dancing a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I do think that I mean, growing up is, is all about making, uh, making mistakes, but being and all, but you know, being man enough to, um, to understand that. And also taking the flack that comes your way and being told off and then learning from it. And yeah, and that's what experience is all about. So um, it did look pretty minor to me. It looked like a, a whole load of nothing. And if that's what it took to maybe shake him out a bit of complacency, and that could easily have been what's happened. You know, I've made it big. I've made it big. Here I am. I'm an Arsenal first team player. And actually, his performances have been very subpar this season. Um, and actually, he, he was great. He was probably as good as he's been for a long time against Chelsea. And, and if that's what it took, it's not the end of the world. No, I mean, look, he's a 21-year-old guy. He's got to learn lessons and he will make mistakes like all of us make mistakes. At, you know, whatever point in our lives we make them, uh, it's, a, it's about learning from them. And look, it's a, it's a strange, mad world. I think people think of football as this relatively normal world, and it's not. It's not normal when you're uh, 21 years of age to be earning 40, 50, 60,000 pounds a week and to be idolized or, or looked up to by uh, thousands of people and kids. And, you know, it's weird. And well, people- that's it. If you ever read any of those those um, those stories like the, you know, the secret of football and those kind of things, it's even, I mean, normal. It couldn't be anything further than normal because, not, like you say, not only are they wealthy, but every time they step set foot anywhere that's in a public place, um, you've got all these sycophants and, and hangers on and people that want to be part of it. And it must be quite, it must be quite nice in, in a way, you know, to have all this attention you mu- and it must go to your head. It must be impossible not to go to your head. So you have to be quite, have your head seriously screwed on and, and have some very, very good advice going in, in your ears to kind of get away from that scot-free. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think uh, if the worst that Alex Iwobi does in his uh, career is stay up a bit late dancing with his friends, 
then, you know, he'll, he'll have gotten away with things. I mean, I think there was a story during the week about Chuba Akpom who who was, uh, I think, prosecuted for drink driving and has lost his license. Um, he played against Nottingham Forest. He came on and played a few minutes against Nottingham Forest, and there was far less focus on him, obviously because he doesn't play, and he's a very, very much a fringe player. But, you know, let's try and make the, the not the punishment fit the crime, but let's try and put it in a little bit of perspective. Not ideal behavior. Hopefully something he'll learn from. Not behavior we've seen from him before. Certainly he's not been caught before anyway. Um, well, from time to time, you need to, you need to have a stern talking to everyone mm. does in their life if you do something wrong you, you need to be able to take take that as and, and kind of take it on board and he yeah. seemed his performance was certainly as good as it's been in a long time and i'm not saying he should stay out till three o'clock every uh every morning but um yeah it, you know in the end it could be it could be not not such a bad thing to have happened so uh, just uh, finally, I, I want to talk to you about a story that emerged during the week in the Evening Standard. I don't know if you read it or not, but it was about how uh, the club have uh, targeted Carlo Ancelotti to be the new manager and taken over. And now it was a, um, some of it might have come from the very pen of Ivan Gazidis himself. Such was the repainting of his uh, role in things at this moment in time. The great line, Gazidis' aim is seemingly to reshape Arsenal so that their newly acquired infrastructure embodies their core values and philosophy and not the idiosyncrasies of a manager's personality. I mean, I guess whoever wrote the article probably had to scratch out the Gazidis. Uh, scratching yeah. his uh, lovely bald head, wearing a very smart suit, looking quite dapper indeed, is seemingly uh, trying to reshape our... You know, uh, the the uh, musk of Gazidis uh, enchanted the room as he walked in. You know, it was it felt like PR for Gazidis. However, uh, certainly there are things happening behind the scenes when it comes to head of recruitment, not director of football, etc., etc., but obviously, you know, it raises the question of, of what's going to happen when Arsene Wenger goes and the issue of when Arsene Wenger goes. I mean, are you on board with a summer departure for the manager? Do you think that is something we should be looking at? And yeah. is, is Ancelotti a guy that you would like to see take over? He's the kind of guy I'd like to see take over. And yes, I think the summer is the right time. I think a few summers ago were probably the right time. But anyway, mm. we are where we are. We are. And... Um, it, it does feel like a few blocks are in place for for that kind of to be a little bit smoother than it would have been last summer. Um, it also feels, you know, to, for, to drag on for the final year of the contract, which is probably his last contract, w- would cause instability. And I think I think it's it's it is the right time to do it this summer. I th- I, yeah, I do. And and um, you know, the, the it could be complicated if we go on a storming run and make fourth or the win the Europa League. But I still think. Really, you have to look at the bigger picture and and the time. The time, if it's not this summer, it's the one after. And I think this summer would make a lot more sense. As for Ancelotti, I think he's got a great record. He's a bit of a firefighter. Comes in for a couple of years here and there, which is no bad thing. Um, he's got the he's got the experience, but also the respect. I suspect, you know that the, the players will would give, and it would it would buy Arsenal a year or two to to get something a bit more long term in place. So it, it does make sense to me. Whether whether there's anything in it, I have no idea. But mm. um, I think it's a lot more likely than some of the other stuff we've heard, like Arteta, which is yeah. complete nonsense to me. Um, you know, it would be like it would be even more risky than plucking George Graham out of Millwall. Well, at least George Graham had experience. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, Graham 
had managed football matches and you can't, I don't think your first job can be with a club like Arsenal without managing at any level whatsoever. Um, you know, I like the idea of someone like Arteta coming in in the future when they've got a bit of experience uh, and while they are still a young coach and while they are uh, full of fresh ideas and, you know, full of uh, you know the stuff you learn from Arsene Wenger and the stuff you learn from Pep Guardiola, but... You know, when Wenger goes and when you look at the, the workload that's in place, you know, with, with player contracts, with recruitment that will have to happen, with the squad profile, certain players getting to an age where you really have to think about long-term replacements for them, you, you can't do it with a guy who's never managed a football club before. Even if you've got a director of football, even if you've got a head of recruitment, I don't think you can do it with that guy. You do need someone of the Ancelotti kind to to come in. I mean, people say that, you know, he is he is quite Wenger-esque and is, you know, he's quite uh, hands-off. He's not a, a really hard taskmaster, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, he's managed Juventus, Milan, uh, Real Madrid, uh, who are Bayern Munich, PSG, mm-hmm. some bunch of cunts from the other side of London. You know, he he has an amazing track record in terms of the the clubs that he's managed. And as a guy who can guide you from Wenger into the proper post Wenger era, he seems to me he seems like a perfect candidate. Yeah, exactly. He he's. Um... He's ideal in that respect, or the whole that his caliber of of man, that kind of caliber is 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 ideal, to be honest. And um, uh, I think it would be a really useful way. You know, all the th- all the things that the players would be worried about would, you know, I think he'd be able to show his CV, and they'd be less worried. Plus, if you if we've got such a big turnaround in players this summer, which we do. A, you know, a massive turnaround, mm. and not just not just those definitely leaving. You've got people that need to be persuaded to sign new deals, like Ramsey. And I think if you had Ancel- Ancelotti come in, uh, or someone like him, um, of that of that experience, uh, and with a CV like that, then I think someone like Ramsey would be more inclined to sign. You know, uh, yeah, it's as simple as that. And we do have a, such a giant rebuilding thing that used to happen in the summer that um, there's going to be a lot of work going on. And I think the less the less uh, of rocking the boat from our players, the better. It would mean, though, that whatever decision is going to be made in the summer would have to be made pretty rapidly because we have this situation this summer. Obviously, there's a World Cup in Russia. Generally speaking, that is something that complicates summer transfer business because players are all around the world and they're here and there and then they're on the holidays and they're uncontactable. But also there's the issue of the player, the transfer window closing before the season starts next summer, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think I could be wrong, but I think is at the moment unique to the Premier League, not the, the... the rest of the leagues in Europe, their their uh, transfer windows remain open, but you can only recruit up until the first game of the season or whenever the, the window might be. So that makes things complicated from that point of view, even if you had an established manager in there. But if you're trying to change manager and all that, I mean, it really means that a lot of these discussions and a lot of what's going on needs to be needs to be happening. If not right now, the planning needs to start fairly soon. It does, but ultimately we're. Well, I mean, we're we're obviously entering into the realms of of, of conjecture here, but it could it could be um, that Wenger signed his new deal last summer, you know, with the 
with the knowledge that this might be his last one and you know, for lots of lots of good reasons. And, and and if that's the case, if he has an idea it's going to happen and, it, and it's not a, a blind, he's not going to get kind of sacked on a Monday morning after a bad game because that's not going to happen. Mm. I think uh, I think they'd probably afford him some some. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he know. I'm sure he would know a bit further in advance than that. Put it that way. And uh, on that basis, I think you could start doing a few of those things a little bit sooner. And maybe that's what's happening. We 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 will never know. But um, it wouldn't be the most absurd thing to think that it's trying. You know, that he's helping it manage along like in that respect. Mm. But uh, then that that being said, you look at Wenger and some of the things he said in the past about he'd be completely lost without football and some of the things some of the kind of snide comments he's made about the new guys coming in. Um you know what do they know? Oh they might find the odd player from some lower league but we've yeah. got scouts everywhere. I mean it's quite kind of snarky, isn't it? And then on then you look at that and you think yeah. well, actually he doesn't he never wants to go. <laughs> so, he yeah, he he does not. He wants Arsenal to be his hotel California. Yeah, well, I would like to think that I would like to think that there's um, some kind of mutual thing that could have kind of gone on, and everyone's all a bit more grown up about it. And thanks him for his, quite frankly, you know, superb tenure for the most part. Mm. Yeah, and um, and and then and then it's uh, it's the least kind of damaging and least um, seismic thing that could happen. But uh, we just don't know with Wenger, do you? And it, and, you know, it it's it's one of those things that could just keep on mm. trickling on. He always honors his contracts, as he says. But, he, uh, he, he does, but I mean, and yeah. everyone, everyone always says, "Oh, that's that's something that means, which means it'll never happen." But I just, I don't see that at all. I think ultimately, you could, it would be perfectly understandable for him to sit down on the penultimate game of the season and said, "Right, fellas, this is my last game uh, tomorrow, or whatever it might be." Um, it's always been in my mind, you know, to sign this deal, but not to go. You know, not to go through the last year for these reasons and the board agrees, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit here, but I, I think uh, I don't think anyone would then bring up this whole on your contract thing. I think people see the logic in that straight away. True, true. All right. Well, look, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, obviously, um, in the summer, but uh, there is a whole half a season to go uh, between now yeah. and then. So we'll see what happens there as well. And we will catch up with you as that uh, half a season progresses. Jim, thanks a million. No worries. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much indeed to Jim. You can find him on Twitter at East Lower. That is at East Lower. And he is having a prolific blogging season, let me tell you. He must have done, ooh, I guess, seven or eight posts so far during the current campaign. You can check that out at eastlower.co.uk for more good Arsenal reading. Right, we've got a game on Sunday against Bournemouth. One of those games about which you can say very little. There's no real history of animosity. Uh, we really need a win. We could uh, do with three points in a big way. Man City and Liverpool are playing on Sunday right after us. And that's one of those where you're going, Ooh, it would be good if Liverpool could beat Man City. That way Man City won't be invincible. But we could kind of do with Liverpool dropping some points as well. We don't necessarily want them to win either. So um, maybe someone else can beat Man City. But if it's Liverpool, it's Liverpool. Nothing we can do about it. And we'll all be, I guess, in one way a little bit happy about it. Uh, we'll have some team news whenever. I don't think we'll have anybody back. Kolasinac, Monreal, Koscielny. Maybe Ramsey will be back. Hopefully Mesut Ozil will be back as well. Alexis Sanchez, will he be an Arsenal player or not? I think he probably will be on Sunday. Will he play him or not? There's a big question. If you won't play him away from home against Chelsea, will he play him away from home against the mighty Bournemouth? I think he might. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? Very breaking news this evening. I've got to um, 
point this out here and give a shout out to uh, JB, who's at Joshua Bull one on Twitter, who's more or less confirmed the fact that Theo Walcott is leaving the club. Theo's T-shirt on the Arsenal Direct shop online has been reduced from £20 to £5. And if that doesn't tell you more about what's going to happen in the transfer window than a player liking another player's picture on Instagram, then, you know, you've got to get with the real world here, folks. Everton said to be preparing a £20 million bid. Southampton interested as well. Where will he end up? This is the excitement we've got to look forward to in this particular transfer window. Uh, I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra, with another co-host, because James is still away. So join us then for more Arsenal chat, waffle, and nonsense. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Remember, if you'd like to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be great. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Arsenal Football Club today announced the departure of midfielder Francis Coquelin and also administrator Richard Law. Fans gathered outside the stadium to express their outrage, but chairman Sir Chips Keswick had a rousing message for the troops. It's a sad day to lose both our cock and our dick, but I'm pleased to announce a new long-term contract for Bob Bollocks. Willie. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.